0: Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we are going to have a discussion with someone that you've probably seen or heard a time or two come across your YouTube binge sessions. Our guest today is a professional YouTuber, thought leader, and content curator who has a strong advocate heart for conversation within the church. Justin Koo is a digital missionary online, primarily known as That Christian Vlogger. His YouTube videos have been seen around the world by over 3 million people. With over 10 years of preaching, literature, evangelism, and teaching experience under his belt, Justin's current focus is to leverage social media to help reach unchurched young adults. Welcome to the show, Justin. It's so awesome to have you on here.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me, Trevor. I really appreciate
0: it. Yeah, man. How has quarantine life been for you?
1: Oh, man. Quarantine has been a lot of the same and also everything being completely different. So I work from home. Um, I have been doing that for the last couple of years. So in that respect, nothing's changed. But uh, one of the bigger things that's been a, a challenge is as someone who does interviews, I try to hold to my value of doing those interviews in person. Uh, I think there's something just unique about building that human connection um and so the first several months of everyone just being super afraid of travelling, everything being shut down it's it's made things really, really difficult to do that. Um, but a lot of, uh, a lot of positive things that have come from that, you know, more time for mental health stuff, exercise, spending time with my wife and, and all those kinds of things. So uh, a little bit of a mixed bag, but overall it's been very
0: good. Dude, that's awesome. And I'm sure being locked up with your wife could probably have a very positive effect on your mental health. Just having that one person there to support you, but it, it could probably be challenging at times. How was that? Cause you've, um, how long have y'all been married? We just celebrated five years. So, uh, you know, we've we've crossed our
1: first of many milestones, God willing. Um, But yeah, being in uh, being quarantined together has been good, you know, uh, because of my work, because of the amount of times I've been traveling and all those kinds of things. It's not too uncommon for me to be on the road for a couple of weeks at a time. Um, so definitely being forced to slow down and having the privilege of being with my wife, for example, uh, just a couple of days ago, we stole out to the Oregon coast. I'm in the Pacific Northwest and we got to spend a couple hours at the beach and, and it was just beautiful and, uh, definitely
0: what my soul has been needing lately. Dude, that's phenomenal. And you guys got married exactly 365 days from your first date. That I've never heard of that before. How did that come about? And especially for the single Christians that are listening that hate dating. Um, could you share your story on that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, my, my wife and I met when we were at the age of like 24. So uh, for some people's perspective, that's really late. Other people's perspective, that's super early. But for us, it was definitely a time when we were kind of settling in on what we were looking for in life. And the way that we met just happened to be perfect for that. So um, long story short, we met at a speed dating event at a Christian university and hit it off really, really, really well. And we just knew that, you know, hey, I, I, I'm interested in this person. This person's interested in me. Kind of the benefit of a speed dating, you know, first meeting is that um, from the moment you you start talking, you know that the other person is interested in something hmm. uh, lasting, something serious. And so we went on a handful of dates and and yeah, 365 days later, we were getting married and and it was it was beautiful. I had taken a, a job uh, out in Philadelphia. So we met in Southern California and right after we got married, we moved to Philly. And I think part of what uh, played into the timeline was we weren't really interested in doing the long distance dating, the coast to coast dating. And so, you know, there was definitely a period where we we're thinking, well, is this is this really what we want to do or how serious are we taking it? And, and once that kind of
0: milestone was crossed, then, then it was kind of no looking back and it was awesome. So you were at a speed dating event at a Christian university. That is the beginning of a story I never thought I would hear. That's awesome. Um, what necessarily drew you to that event? Was it one of those things where you're like, Hey, I'm not going to go and just showed up or had you been like actively searching for your person?
1: no definitely uh not actively searching for a person but it was i i don't know for me it was kind of one of those bucket list things you know oh i want to go skydiving check want to go this or that and and you see speed dating as uh, portrayed in movies or television shows—it's just kind of a fun way to meet people. And I figured, eh, why not give it a shot? We'll see. We'll see what happens. And you know, funny thing is, over the last couple of years, I think we've met maybe half a dozen people who've traced their marriages and/or relationships, uh, you know, back to a speed dating type event. And so, apparently, it is one among many ways of, of meeting someone. You could do the online dating thing, meet in person. Maybe not so much with quarantine
0: now, but um, <laughs> speed dating worked for us. Dude, uh Georgia's completely back open. Where are you at?
1: Oh, we're uh, I'm in the Portland, Oregon area, and okay. it's it's not super open. I went to a coffee shop this morning, um still requiring you to wear masks and
0: things like that, but yeah. Dude, that's crazy. I feel like a speed dating event would trigger some anxiety for me. Was that a factor for you at all?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I think because of my line of work, I've always, you know,
0: kind of had some comfort speaking to strangers and so it wasn't too bad. That's awesome, man. So during this whole quarantine, you've stayed consistent with your content across all of your platforms. But what really like piqued my interest was your YouTube channel. You started off as that Christian vlogger. Um, Like I mentioned before we got on here, I came across one of your videos when I was going through uh, the beginning stages of learning how to cope with panic disorder. I searched Christian videos, uh, panic disorder, something like that, and SEO works. And I found one of your videos back in 2016, and right when I saw your face, on Instagram, I was like, I've seen that before, and then did some searching, and here we are. So it, uh-huh. it's super amazing to just see how your story has kind of went with your platform. You're at 106,000 um, subscribers on YouTube. You've got the plaque from YouTube. That's awesome. That had to be a good feeling to know that, like, something that you once had a vision for, and you're probably I think it said like 465 videos or something like that. And and God's using it. Like over three million people have seen your videos, and It's not like the Justin Koo show or anything like that. You're literally just wanting to have amazing conversations with people. So with all that being said, when did you know that like, okay, God, like I know that you want me to do this with my life?
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we were in Philadelphia, there was kind of a steady buildup of this concept of doing online uh, ministry. Um, the, the, one of the bigger pieces was I had a student, um, whose name is Michael Choynoski the third. And the reason why his story stood out to me the most was he, he, he literally became a Christian because of a YouTube video. And to me, like that was the first time I ever really heard about it. You know, social media was always this thing that I was interested in here and there. I was one of the early adopters. I remember back in the days of. You know, Facebook, MySpace, uh, Zanga, you know, Friendster—all kind of the like the beta versions of mm. um, social media platforms—and uh, just always being enamored by it, but never really thought that it would be a kind of a conduit for something really significant. And so, when I found out that he came to faith because of a YouTube video, it kind of got me thinking about how I had spent the majority of you know the rest of my ministry. You know, I've I've done a lot of kind of itinerant speaking. Uh, for ministry, and you know, you put a lot of you know a lot of time, a lot of heart into you know a thirty minute presentation, and you know, for a lot of the churches that I was talking to, it's maybe a hundred, maybe two hundred fifty people at the most, perhaps. So you know, it's a lot of work for a small audience, and I thought, well, if I could put in the same amount of work for a YouTube video, like man, what what are the what are the odds that it could reach you know possibly more people? And so for a couple of months, I was really uh, playing with the idea, eventually started my channel, kind of did the new year's resolution where I'm like, I'm going to do a video a week for an entire year, started doing that and slowly, but surely started to see results. And, um, there was just this moment when I was having a conversation with my then boss, um, that kind of solidified that this was really something I wanted to give my best at, Mm -hmm. Um, at the time. And it's funny that you, you had mentioned that, uh, there was a video on, you know, kind of mental health stuff Um, at that time where I think I was, uh, talking to my boss, I was actually going through depression and work was really challenging and just finding things that would get me excited about life again was, was a load of a challenge. And, um, so after conversations with my boss and just kind of seeing how things were happening online, it was one of the few places that I really felt, uh, that I was living out my purpose. And so after these conversations, you know, I just really felt led by God to to really give it my all. I, I figured, you know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and think backwards. What would have been, what, what would my life be like if I had actually taken that kind of step of faith? Mm. And so I went home that day, told my wife, hey, you know what? I think that this is where God's calling me to go. I really want to do this. Um, translation, I'm going to quit my job. You're going to pay the bills in our first year of marriage and we're going to just figure this thing out. Um my wife was supportive and 30 days later we moved across the country and did it. And so uh that was, you know, 4ish years ago and it's, you know, it's been a, a
0: growing journey but we're really glad that we took that step. Dude, what a testimony. And how long did it take you before you started seeing rapid growth on that channel? I feel like our generation especially is so like They're into the whole microwave concept, like 30 seconds, you're famous, like whatever. And for you, like when I think of Justin Koo, I don't think of somebody that buys into their own hype. You're not necessarily worried about how many people are watching the videos or anything like that. You're letting God lead that. But how long did it take you before you started seeing rapid growth on that channel?
1: Yeah. So I guess it depends on what you think when you when you use the term rapid growth. But to me, there's never really been rapid growth. Mm. It's been definitely a slow and steady process. Um, uh, so a lot of my early time was spent uh, researching and studying SEO and how to create YouTube content and how to you know market things better, especially how to do it on a budget, because, you know, quitting your job. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really give you a lot of working capital to create stuff with, yeah. Uh, And so I spent a lot of time, you know, watching podcasts or watching videos and listening to podcasts, taking courses, things like that. And and, you know, there there are some hacks here and there, but it's kind of a myth, at least in my experience, that you just go viral overnight. Mm. Uh, I think it took me like a hundred videos before I really started to get a hang of things, and and so it went from you know maybe five subscribers a month to twenty subscribers a month to a hundred, and you know, just it kind of it kind of slowly grew over time. And I think really the, the major thing is just consistency. The major thing is just always doing your best to make every bitter, every video better than your previous one. And that's something that I've kind of tried to keep my head down and really focus on, uh, rather than getting caught up with the metrics and things like that. It like, it's funny that you mentioned hit the hundred K there's, I got the YouTube plaque. I literally don't know where it is. I was thinking about that when you said it, it's somewhere in the house, I
0: literally don't know where it is. That's, that's how little time I spent thinking about it. Dude, that's awesome. And the only reason I wanted to ask that is because there's so many people that send us messages and just are only worried about what people think about them, like the plaques that come along with it and the, the thought into the content isn't there. For a lot of people they're just worried about getting that verified mark on instagram and just wanting to have hundreds of thousands of people looking to their life but they're not looking as to why and you've spent time after time after time just tackling the questions that nobody wants to ask especially when it comes to the church and i was looking through your youtube channel and catching up on some videos before this interview and i saw one of the videos you posted with a guy that goes by the raging atheist and it's beautiful. A uh, guy was trolling you on uh, YouTube, if I'm uh, not mistaken, and you reached out. You did an in-person interview with him and had a conversation about your differences and kind of just setting aside any kind of stereotype that went in. And what what inspired that? I know he reached out to you, but what inspired you to be that person to reach out with him and have that conversation
1: yeah. So, I mean, the Internet's a really toxic place, um, whether you're a content creator or not. It's it's really easy to see how there's always fights. There's arguments on the Internet. It's it's really easy to do the whole us versus them thing. Um, and so I don't know, for, a couple, for the last couple of years, I've really been wanting to try and push back against that. Um, and to try and do do better uh, in my own life on that. I know that I, I was subject to that. I've done a lot of that. And I haven't, you know, I haven't always been the friendliest internet person in the world. Um, and so this was kind of a, a desire of mine for quite some time. And so when I, I come across his videos, you know, kind of attacking me, I'm like, okay, I, I can choose to do what I've always done, which is fight back or, you know, just write him off as an idiot or something like that. But how do I actually... I don't know, make a friend out of this. Is, is that even possible? And, you know, I, I would think about, uh, you know, the way that I, I would see Jesus interacting with people uh, and he would hang out with the the sinners and the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the kind of ostracized people of society. And he seemed he seemed to really have a good relationship with those kinds of people where it was more so the religious people that he maybe didn't always have the best of relationships with. And I, I thought about how my life had gone up to that point and it was almost the opposite, Right. Uh, doing a lot of really great stuff to pat ourselves on the back, preaching to the choir, all that kind of you know nice things, but uh, really done to kind of uh, overlook the fact that I didn't really have many people who weren't of my faith or weren't of mm. my persuasion politically or whatever the case is. And, and kind of realizing that, you know, that's not the way that I want to live my life. I want mm. to be able to to truly be there for all people. And so... Uh, what started off as a couple of comments uh, back and forth ended up with me flying out to to Michigan where I would hang out with a guy. And, you know, that was the first of several uh, relationships that I kind of cultivated that were uh, that caught me off guard. And every single time that I've done so, it's it's just it's uh, it's enriched my life in a way that I wasn't expecting. And it makes my life a little bit more beautiful because I have a different perspective with which to see
0: the world around me. How and when did you decide that when people come after you for your faith that you were going to respond with just not that I've seen any anger, you understand their viewpoint on things. You understand they might not know the same things that you do and you want to have that conversation and become a friend of them.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know that there was ever a, a distinct moment. It's certainly something that's kind of evolved over time and I hope to continue to to evolve in that way um so yeah i don't i don't know that it it really like kind of came together at one moment i i think part of it was just a realization of how long it's taken me to get to where i am today not that where i am is where i need to be perhaps um you know there's a lot of things that i'm still trying to learn about so i'm still trying to to improve on but you know even just from a kind of a a black and white thing, you know, i never really came to faith in Christ till I was 17, 18 years old. And so I think about how patient God has been with my life story and Mm -hmm. is with my life story. Um, And just thinking, you know, it's really unrational uh, to try and expect other people to catch up to where I'm at in one comment on a social media post you know, growth that's, that's lasting, growth that's meaningful happens over a lifetime. And so if you want to help influence someone in one direction or the other, it really requires at some level a willingness to be there for an extended amount of time. And so uh, that's kind of what I've attempted to do more so now is that when I meet people who are a little bit different, maybe a little bit outside the box, is there a way that I can truly come beside them and do life with them in a way that's non-judgmental in a way that's loving and caring and empathetic in a way that they will truly um, value the relationship and and also how can I also learn from them and what can I g- uh, gain as a part of this
0: this kind of new blossoming friendship so over the past few months our country seen a lot of um arguments revolving around black lives matter and homosexuality and just a lot of different controversial topics and i've seen even a lot of people that i follow like friends of mine they don't necessarily know how to handle like people that are opposing their viewpoints what would your advice be for somebody that is thinking today like whenever somebody attacks me i'm going to attack them back how would you um tell them to try to break that habit and hopefully be a little more kind and understanding in their walk.
1: Um, I think that it's all too easy to ascribe value to people based off of beliefs. Um, if they vote similar to me, then they're more valuable. If they believe in the same religion as me, then they're more valuable or, or fill in the blank, you know, and, and it even extends past beliefs and it goes down to actions as well. What do they do? What do they say? How do they live? How do they treat people? That is what determines a person's value. And it's certainly important what we believe. It's certainly important what we say. It's certainly important how we treat people. All those things really, really matter, but uh, kind of the worldview that I've accepted uh, states that none of those things actually has anything to do with value. Mm. Your value is inherent simply due to the fact that you're a human being. Simply because, you know, you were created in the image of God, you matter. Even if you've made a lot of mistakes along the way. You know, I, I think about my my dog, you know, my dog can poop on the floor. My dog can, you know, chew up, you know, my my couch or whatever the case is. And simply due to the fact that it's mine, that I, I, I care about it, that I've selected this one to bring into my family, you know, all those other things don't necessarily discount the value that the dog has towards me. Um, You know, I I certainly don't like when he poops on the ground or anything else like that, but I still love it no matter what is my love towards the dog is, is unconditional in that respect. And I'm, I use dog as an example because I don't have any kids. I'm assuming that that's how parenting works if you're a healthy parent. Um, And so, you know, if that's the worldview that I've accepted for myself, and that's how I try to see the world around me, then it it makes treating people uh, through the perspective of value a little bit more easy. When I realize and I remind myself that the person who's across the the aisle from me, who's on the other side of the screen, that that person is inherently valuable. Uh, then, then it changes the way that I, I perceive
0: them. It changes the way that I talk to them. And so that's just kind of one of the values that I've committed to. As a digital influencer, have you found it to be more inspirational to travel and create, or can you really find inspiration wherever you go?
1: Um, That's a great question. I think inspiration can happen wherever you're at. Uh, inspiration truly is... Uh, is subjective in that respect. But also I think that people um, overplay the value of maybe inspiration or passion or things like that. I was having a conversation with a friend uh, just a couple of days ago and he was talking about, we were talking about things that we're passionate about things that we're inspired about. Right. And usually what we, what we mean by that is something that we're emotionally excited about. I'm passionate about quilting. You know, it means that, you know, quilting brings me a lot of joy is kind of commonly how it's been understood. But, if you know, I remember looking up the word passion and kind of the root for it is suffering. It's It's this idea where we get, you know, the passion of the Christ, the suffering of Jesus. Something that you're passionate about is something that you're willing to suffer for. And I think that the things that matter most in life are things that require passion. Uh To be a great uh husband or wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, father, or, you know, what mother or something along those lines, it requires a certain amount of passion. It's not always an easy thing to do. To be great at your job or be a fantastic musician or, you know, a great artist requires passion in the sense that sometimes you're not going to want to do the thing and you're going to have to suffer through it. Sometimes you're going to get objections, you're going to get obstacles in your way, people are going to tell you no and you suck, but you're going to have to suffer that and actually continue even without it. And so, you know, inspiration is great, but uh, I think if I were to wait only for when I was inspired, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't be creating nearly as much as I am creating now. And so, as much as I value inspiration and want to be inspired every single day of my life, sometimes I have to realize, you know, it's okay to not have inspiration and still
0: do something from a place of uh, values and a place of mission. So for someone that's sitting on their couch or driving, riding their bike, whatever they're doing while they're listening to this podcast, if they feel called to be a digital evangelist, what, were, what would be the first steps if you were to start today?
1: Yeah, that a uh, fantastic question. Um, I would say that probably one of the most important things is to really distill, well, what does that look like? Who are you trying to reach and with what message? Mm-hmm. Um, I think people default. And this is certainly what I did when with my initial channel with that Christian vlogger, we think about, oh, I'm going to do missions. I'm going to I'm going to be an evangelist or whatever the words are that you you prefer for your label. So I'm going to create Bible study guides and I'm going to create, you know, oh, hey, check out this Bible verse and here's my ideas about it. And that's great. But who is that really for and who does that actually bring value to Um, for me? Uh, I didn't realize till several several years down the line that I was literally creating videos for the church. You know, I was doing Christian perspectives on something, 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 you know, a, a current world event or a subject or whatever the case is. And that's great and all. But when I, I boiled down what Jesus called me to do and what I believe the Great Commission is all about is actually reaching people who don't already share your worldview. So while it's great that there are ministries that teach the Bible to Bible-believing Christians already... It took me a long time to realize that that wasn't my calling. That's not really what I want my life to be about. And so I had to actually make the hard decision to to realize, oh, uh, the content that I have been creating isn't actually what I should be creating because it doesn't reach the audience that I was called to, 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 to reach. So start off at the very beginning, who am I trying to reach and with what message and how do I communicate that message in a way that they'll actually receive? Um, And so, you know, maybe it's not the most helpful to just read straight from the book of Revelation uh, on the street corner to to passerbys because maybe they'll just think you're crazy. Uh, Maybe you won't reach people. Now, could God use it? Of course, God could use it. I I don't want to say he won't use it. But if you're thinking about trying to reach unchurched people, then maybe you would do that a little bit more differently. Um, So, yeah, think about your audience, think about your message
0: and, and try and align those two as best as possible. Dude, that's awesome. And your target audience is primarily the unchurched generation. We have a lot of people that are leaving the church, especially young people. Right When they get out of high school or go into college and they finally leave their parents' house, they're not jumping back into church. What led you to want to reach them? Like A lot of people are just kind of turning their heads on them. They're like, they're not tithing to us. We're not going to target them. But you like to listen, like it's in your YouTube channel name. I'm listening with Justin Koo. You have conversations that nobody wants to have. And at times it could be uncomfortable, but when it comes to the unchurched generation, when was that on your heart? If it has, you know. Yeah, I think it's been on my heart since
1: the very beginning. I mean, I can't, I can't really think of a moment outside of my, you know, stepping into faith that that wasn't something that mattered to me. Um, I, I think it was literally because, you know, my life changed so dramatically when I embraced faith that this was kind of an experience that I wanted to relive, uh, through other people. I wanted to to, to, to share the joy that I experienced when I found Christ or when I allowed Christ to find me perhaps. Mm. Um, and so reaching people who didn't already have kind of a a living faith was something that from the very beginning, I was very excited about, uh, took me a while to figure out what are some better ways to do it. Um, and I I think I'm still trying to figure that out a Mm. little bit more, but man, you know, when I get to, I get to, witness a baptism when i get to see a story of you know an atheist coming to faith or a pagan coming to faith in christ like to me those are the most awe inspiring for me and Mm. it's taken me a while to to release my judgmental spirit because i i I realize now that maybe not everyone feels the same way about that um but i guess that's kind of why you got to ask yourself well who do i want to reach maybe you want to reach someone else maybe you want to reach single mothers Uh, you know, who are suffering and maybe you want to reach uh, members of the LGBT community. Maybe like the passion that God places on a person's heart is individual and unique to that person. And so I wouldn't want someone to feel like, because I'm so passionate and excited about this, that you must be also no, just, Mm. just, inwardly reflect and ask God, well, what is it that you've called me to do? And you might find out that the thing you've been called to do is the thing that's been on your mind since the, you know, since the very beginning of your journey. Uh, and that there was a reason why that was on, on your heart since the very beginning it's because maybe
0: that's who God has wired you to be. Dude, that's so awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. There's just so much vulnerability that goes into what you do. And I know at times it could probably seem a little bit lonely um, in there, but God's using you exactly where you were and he's using your wife. She's on your channel as well. And one of the last things I really wanted to talk to you about is you're a primary example of what I love to see in a person. Um, especially when it comes to a person of influence, you, you're not afraid to admit when you were wrong about something. In fact, you have a video titled, I was wrong about God. And you call yourself out. You tell people exactly what you feel you were wrong about God and you move forward with it. There was no real... I wouldn't say apologetic piece of you for what God's done through your life, but you vowed to move forward in faith and knowing that God's going to lead you where you want to go with all of that. And like, as you grow, you started your channel when you were younger, moving forward in age um, where you're getting older. How do you feel you've grown in that sense, where whether it be theology or literature or just being more open to listen and have conversations? How have you seen yourself grow as Justin Koo as a person, not necessarily a content creator, but personally in your life, in your every single day life, whether it's how you treat people at the gym, walking down the street? How have you personally grown in your daily habits and how you do life?
1: Yeah, so I I think the way that I've grown the most, and I think this is kind of an aspirational hope as well. You know, this Mm -hmm. is something that um, I've realized for all my life has been a challenge. Uh, It's not something that comes natural. It's something that requires attention and focus. And um, yet I think it's what matters perhaps the most. Um, and that's kind of like this, this empathy and kind of compassion muscle, um, from a very early age, maybe it's because I'm first born, maybe it's because of my personality type, maybe it's because of whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, I've been very focused on myself to the exclusion of other people. Mm. Um, you know, reading self-help books and watching YouTube channels like early in the days, like Casey Neistat or Gary Vaynerchuk about this, just work hard and hustle, you know, put your head down and, and do what you need to do. It leads to, um, a very, I don't know, lonely type of existence, um, a very unsatisfying life, because if your entire value is based off what you can do, um, then you start to look at the world around you differently. Uh, On your good days, things are working great. There's no problem. On your bad days, when your job doesn't go well, or maybe that video doesn't get as many views as you want, you start to examine your life and think, well, really, how much am I worth? How valuable am I? Uh, And when you have those bad days, it's a lot easier to look at people as kind of uh, objects. Well, if my goal is to accomplish this thing, then how can my relationship with you help me get there? And every interaction is somewhat transactional. Um, you know, when you're caught up in traffic, you're frustrated because people are holding you back from your next appointment to get to, get to the next thing so you can accomplish that next goal. Uh, when you're uh, in the in line for coffee, you're more likely to have a podcast in your ears uh, so that you can level up another soft skill or hard skill that you've been working on and you're less likely to, to just talk to the cashier and say, hey, how are you? How's your day? Um, your relationships with family and friends and and loved ones maybe aren't so important because you know what? They don't have platforms. They don't have uh, business connections. They don't have all these kind of uh, access to resources that you might need. And so you start to look at things around you as disposable. They they start becoming less important and less valuable. Um, and so the thing that I realized that I needed some serious work on was uh, my ability to to put other people before myself. Uh, and to live from this place of of empathy, and and what are you experiencing, and what is your life like, and and is there a way that I can maybe in some small way uh, bring you happiness and joy in in the way that we spend time together? And so, you know, I think that this is kind of bringing it full circle. the 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 thing that has drawn me so closely to my wife is that we're polar opposites in this. You know, I've Never really been accused as an overly empathetic person, you know, growing up. And, you know, Emily is exactly the opposite. She is such an empathetic person that maybe it's to a detriment. Maybe she cares a little too much about what other people think. And so in my marriage, we've seen growth in that she's become a little bit more independent, a little bit stronger, a little bit less apologetic in all the good ways. And her her strength has rubbed off on me, and I start to to be a little bit softer and a little bit more caring, a little bit more patient with people. And I I'm, I've loved seeing how that's taken, um, kind of over the way that I do stuff on the internet as well. Uh, it's taken many many years, but I'm starting to see people differently. I'm starting to recognize that even if they're different than me, that their life story still matters. And that perhaps if I was in their position, I might not be very different. I might believe the things that they believe. I might be doing the things that they might be doing because maybe they had a different life experience. And so mm. um, looking at people through the eyes of empathy and having patience and just treating people with as much grace and, and, and goodwill as I possibly can. And then just allowing what you know allowing god to do whatever he wants to do through those exchanges mm. my my conversations with people my relationships are no longer about changing someone's mind they're no longer about trying to get something from them it's just being there with them and loving on them and if god wants to use that in that moment to do something beautiful then fantastic if god wants to use that moment as a as a seed planting or a just watering moment and it I'll never see what happens you know in, in my own personal life and it might you know something might benefit them a decade down the line then that's fine with me too there's no pressure on trying to perform uh, a certain thing and so so that's that's the direction which i want to continue growing i want to continue growing in in empathy and
0: compassion and love towards people no matter who they are and i can imagine many 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 people are going to hear this and be encouraged to walk in the same way justin just thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us where can people connect with you
1: yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I'm on all the relevant social media platforms, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at J-K-H-O-E. Um, and if you don't mind, can I, can I plug something? Yeah. Okay, cool. Because we, we had talked about you know starting ministry and people who want to live out their mission or whatever the case is. Um, I've actually done an online uh, course for people who want to do YouTube. If you want to start a YouTube ministry or YouTube, it doesn't even have to be ministry. If you want to start a YouTube channel, Uh, and you don't quite know where to start, there's a free course. It's a 10-part video series that I did. Uh, It's uh, in partnership with a ministry called the Center for Online Evangelism, centerforonlineevangelism.org. There's a lot of blogs, articles, uh, interviews, and they host a 10-part video series that I created for people wanting to start YouTube ministry. And so if that's you, and you want to kind of dabble with that, um, these are just some of the lessons I've
0: learned along the way, and I I hope that they'd be valuable to you. Amazing. Now, everybody go check out that 10 piece of video series. Justin, thanks again for coming on and we will talk to you guys next week. Awesome.
1: Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafund.com to listen and subscribe.